today you jumped in for week number three of Environment Soil Matters. So let me catch you up. Uh, so far we've talked about the fact that you're designed to grow. No matter where you're at, your soul is designed to grow. On the mountaintop, in the valley, it's designed to grow in every season. Uh, and then last week we talked about the call of God on your life. It's so much more important. It's so big that it's worth getting everything out of your life that's in the way of the call of God on your life. And hopefully you got that resonating in your heart this week, that you believe that you're called by God, you believe that you have a call of God on your life, and that there's something for you to do on this earth, and it's not worth wasting your time with distractions. And if you got that, then you're ready for today, because today is talking about what to add in. What is it that we need in our lives that's really going to help us flourish the most? And Really, when I was setting up this series, I had an idea of the direction that I was going to go, and then God kind of shifted my heart on, on a, almost a completely different direction to really focus in on one really important thing that I think we overlook. Maybe it's probably the most important thing and the most commonly overlooked, right? We know a lot of the things, right? We'll talk about those real quick. We know a lot of the things that we're supposed to have in our life consistently, in our, in our environment, in our soil, because the seed, the call of God on our life is meant to grow, and so we know if you've been to church for any length of time, maybe if you've never stepped foot in church, you know a few things. First off, you need the Word of God in your life. Hopefully you know that. If not, today's your first day hearing it. You need Scripture in your life. And I don't, I, when I say the Word of God in your life, I'm really challenging you to not just have it where you make sure you read a single verse to check that box. I'm challenging you to try to meditate on the Word of God, to let it get into your heart. To let it like soak in rather than just knowing a few verses or understanding a few things about Scripture, but to really let the Word of God into your life and to come to the Word of God asking what God is telling you to do, how He's called you to live, to learn about His character and to learn how you're called to live, right? Many of us have come to the Word of God, and I was very guilty of this in my teen years, with an opportunity to justify what we already wanted to do. Okay, can I say that? Can I admit that? Sometimes we look at Scripture and we want to live a certain way, so we look at Scripture to justify the way that we already want to live. Rather than saying, no, this is the Word of God, it dictates my life because I believe it's the Word of God, and so I'm asking it what it's calling me to do and how it's calling me to live, right? I was a master of manipulating Scripture for it to say exactly what I wanted so I can continue to do what I wanted to do, but that's not how you approach the Word of God. So get that in your life, meditate on it, chew on it, soak on it. The second thing is worship. We know we're supposed to worship God. And when I say worship, I don't mean just the corporate worship that happens on Sunday. I mean living a lifestyle of worship, whether it's constantly through music or whether there's no music involved at all. Worship is a lifestyle that you choose to reflect back to God and to thank Him and be grateful and to give Him glory for what He's done in your life and who He is, no matter how you do it. Right? There's a story where Jesus heals ten lepers and only one comes back to worship Him. Only one comes back for gratitude. We're going to be the ones that come back. And we're going to live a life where we're grateful to God, we honor God, and our life reflects worship. Not just how we sing. doesn't matter if you're in tune or out of tune. God wants to know your heart and your life. That's worship, right? Get that in your life. Let it be an active part. The third thing that you probably know is prayer. Prayer is an essential part of what it means to follow Jesus. You need to have a conversation with God. You don't have to preach or pray in King James English. All right? If you do, good for you. You might get bonus points for the people around you that hear you praying. But for God, it's about your heart and you having a conversation with Him. And what I would challenge you to do is see prayer as a 
constant communication. The Scripture says that to pray without ceasing. That means when we say amen, it's not a box we checked and we walk on. It means we said amen where we said let it be or so be it and we continue it out through our day. Where we have an open dialogue. We're driving down the road. We're talking to God, telling about our day. And we recognize if he cares about the numbers of hair, hairs on my head, then he probably cares about the little things that seem minuscule to me. He still cares. So I'm going to talk to him about it. Hey, I don't like these shoes today. God, why don't I like these shoes? That's an okay conversation to have with God. It might feel silly, but it's just fine. If that bothers you, you're concerned about it, have the conversation. He's your heavenly father who loves you. Keep that conversation open, especially your ears. Like, not just talking, but listen to what he's trying to show you. Every single day, he's trying to get something across to you, and that's part of open communication in prayer. But there's one thing, right? So these are the three most essential. This is probably what everybody knows. But, there's, but I've actually seen, and you might have to process this for a second, but I have seen people who have all three of those things in their life, and yet they don't produce the fruit that God has called them to produce. That doesn't, when I first started thinking about this and chewing on this, I was like, that doesn't make sense. But it's true. It doesn't make sense that it happens, but it is true that I've seen it happen. I went to college with guys who went on and got their Master of Divinity and went on to get their doctorate, and they can read the original Hebrew and the original Greek, but their lives don't reflect that they love Jesus or follow Jesus. So, like, they know the Word of God. I've, I've known people who worship like crazy, who read Scripture daily and worship like crazy, and go out and treat the waitress like she's a piece of trash. And like, that doesn't reflect the fruit of God in your life. There's something going wrong. I've seen people that are in the Word of God. They're worshiping like crazy, and they come out of their prayer room, and you would think that they tasted something sour in that prayer room because their, their face is sad and sulky the rest of the day. And it confuses me. I know it's confusing because you're like, those should be the three essentials. That if you have those in your life, you've added those to your environment, to your garden, it should reflect that. But I've seen people that have had all three, and genuinely, I believe, had all three, and had a life that didn't reflect that and didn't produce the fruit that God had called them to. And there's one thing I think they're missing, the most essential. There's other things that you need in your life consistently that you need to do. But there's one thing that I want to talk about today that I think is the most essential and probably the most missed. And that is the right relationships. And, and when I say right relationships, I, I don't mean a lot of friendships. I mean what Scripture calls iron sharpening iron. The, the, the people that you will open up to and let in, and let have hard conversations with you when they need to. I mean a group of people, that uh, a handful of people that you're going to be connected to in a way where you're making each other better, you're making someone better, or they're making you better, but there's a growth that's happened because there's an intimacy and something you've allowed in your life in that relationship that it's there for a purpose, that it's designed for something. And so today I want to talk about having the right relationships. The first thing I want you to recognize is your design. How you were designed is found in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. And God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. A couple of people think they're off the hook. First off, ladies, you're not off the hook. You think you're off the hook, but you're not off the hook. I know he's talking to Adam at this point. I know he makes Eve for Adam at this moment. But I think this is a description for all of mankind. I, I think it because of what the Scripture's saying and the implications of it that we're not designed to be alone. It's not how we're wired. We're not called to be alone. Uh, we are called to have the right relationships in our life. The other group of people that might think you're off the hook is introverts. You're like, you don't know me. I don't need nobody. I like to be alone. I want to read my book. I want to I have a bath and a book and some candles and, nobody to leave, and everybody to leave me alone. Extroverts, you're not off the hook either because you're like, well, I got a lot of friends. I'm good. 
what I'm describing is a, a close group of people that you let in. Extroverts, some of us, have a lot of surface-level friendships, but nothing with depth. Introverts, you probably have a f- handful of deep relationships, but maybe in this season, you haven't let a few people in. That you haven't given them permission to speak into your life. And you haven't told them like, hey, we're close, and I need you to tell me when I get crazy. I, n- I need you to tell me when I start treating my spouse bad or when I start to get out of, out of line with my parenting. You need close, connected relationships that grow you. Every single person in here needs close, connected relationships. I'm so passionate about this. I'm going to ask you a question and then I'll give you the answer to it, but I just need you to chew on it. Is Can you be healthy spiritually and not relationally? I'm going to just ask yourself if you think theoretically, can you be healthy spiritually and not relationally? I'm so passionate about this and so convicted by this that I believe that you cannot be healthy spiritually if you're not also healthy relationally. Now, the reason I think this is is found in Matthew chapter 22, where someone comes up to Jesus and they're like, hey, what's the greatest two commands? And his argument and his statement to them is very simple. You probably hopefully heard these verses before. He says to love the Lord your God first with all your heart, soul, mind and spirit. And second is to love your neighbor as yourself. He actually says all of the law and the prophets, all of Scripture hinge on these two things. These are the, this is the crux of all of Scripture is to love God with all your heart and to love your neighbor as yourself. And so what I would suggest is that uh, the, the reason he puts it in that order is because you, you can't actually love your neighbor well until you first love God well. I just don't think it's physically possible to love your neighbor well until you really love God well. So that's why that one's first. And you can't love your neighbor well until you love God well. So I would ask to maybe switch it into reverse. If I'm not loving my neighbor well, then am I, have I ever been loving God well? To, to switch that question around and to say, if I'm not loving my neighbor, if I don't have the right relationships, the right friendships, the right neighbors around me connecting, I'm loving people well, maybe it's an indication that my, my, my relationship with God isn't going well. And that sounds strange because sometimes we have an idea of what it means to have the Word of God in our life, the worship in our life, and the prayer in our life that looks good on the outside but doesn't bear fruit. It, it looks like it's healthy in our environment, but the fruit says it's not. And I would argue that our call is to judge the fruit before we judge the perception. I, I would say that our call as the church world is to stop over-spiritualizing things and to say, to say things that sound good and stop being so excited about the best communicators instead of the best lifestyles. To, to, to start following people who bear fruit in what they're called to do with God, not just look good on the outside and bear some fruit. I might be passionate about that because I may not get the outside stuff right. Hopefully I'm getting the inside right. And so our job as the church is to stop because... You, it's really hard to, to figure out wh- where the tree ends and where the environment begins because they're so interconnected. And the spiritual and the natural are so interconnected, you can't divide the two. You, you can't say, well, I don't love my neighbor well, but I love God well. No, no, because you can't do that. You, you can't say, well, well, I'm spiritually healthy, but I'm not relationally healthy. Because what he's saying is when you're connected to me, you'll connect well to others. And so there's, there's, I'm really, today I'm narrowing down 
intimate relationships, connected relationships, iron sharpening iron relationships. But that's also true of how you treat your neighbor when it's the person at the gas station, the grocery store, all of those as well. That matters as well. But all of that should bleed into healthy, connected, iron sharpening iron type of relationships. And I, I don't want us to over-spiritualize things because some things that look just very natural are deeply spiritual. This week I got to kind of experience that a friend of mine that attends here uh, had, had really been having a rough time. He had his stepmom passed away three years ago. Tuesday was the anniversary of his mom passing away. And his grandpa passed away. He just had a lot of death in his life. And it was, it was like, this is too much. He's like, can I just come and like cry in the auditorium? I was like, absolutely. bro. Come on, let's go. It just so happened there was a lot of people up here. So we were able to circle them in prayer, pray over them. And then I was just able to sit and cry with them. We just sat in the auditorium. Actually, the power went out. So we were in the dark for half of it. And we just sat in the auditorium and cried together. She talked about what was going on and how much it hurt and how, what was going on in the family and how it affected him and all of these things in these conversations. And see, for many of us, we would think that the prayer circle was the most spiritual. But it, the conversation for me was the most spiritual thing. It seems really natural just to have a conversation. But that moment was the most spiritual that I'd had all week. Above my, the time in the Word, I know it sounds crazy, time of worship, time of prayer, that moment was the most spiritual thing I could have done in that moment. And I walked out filled up because I got to be a part of a healthy relationship conversation to help somebody continue in their walk with Christ. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is to sit down over a cup of coffee and share your heart with somebody and open up and get real with people, and let somebody in that you know God has called to be in your life in a different way, and have a different kind of connection. So what I want you to get is this. You're called to have deep, intimate relationships, iron sharpening, iron type relationships, but what I don't want you to do is to go out and just try to network. Like, I'm going to find people that got it all together, and I'm going to ask them to tell me what to do, and I'm just going to be like kind of a feeder, where I'm like, mm, you tell me what to do, and i got like seven people that tell me what to do, because that's also dangerous. We see it in uh, Matthew chapter 3, verse 7 through 10. In verse 7, uh, this is uh, actually John the Baptist is preparing the way for the Lord, uh, is what Scripture says. And in the midst of that, this is what takes place. While he's out in the desert baptizing people, it says, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers. That's not a term of endearment, in case you're wondering. Who warns you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Why are you so mean, John? Uh, verse 9, And do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. There's a line there that really jumped out at me in verse 8. I'm going to have him jump back there. In verse 8, that last line is produce fruit in keeping with repentance. It kind of threw me off because I was like, what does that even mean? Right? Like, I'm a guy that's like, I want the practical stuff. Don't over-spiritualize it. We can just skip over that and be like, yeah, produce fruit. Love Jesus. That's producing fruit. But they, they, the Pharisees and the Sadducees had all the, the traditional things that I talked about earlier together. Like they, if producing fruit and keeping with repentance meant that you knew the word of God, you worship and you prayed, the Pharisees and Sadducees had it all together. They were, they had it lock, stock and barrel. They were the guys like by the time they were 12, most of them could quote you the first five books of the Bible word for word. That's how good they were at the word of God. Like they knew their stuff. They, they had it together. And yet it says you brood of vipers, you need to produce fruit. 
And I'm like, what, what are you talking about? Repentance, the word repentance just means to turn the direction you're going that's wrong, go the right way. It's not, not real complicated. Hey guys, stop going the way you're going. Produce fruit like you're going the right way. Well, it looks like they're going the right way. They know the word. They were outwardly expressive in worship. Very expressive in worship. They were known in how they worshiped and especially known in how they prayed. They were the prayer warriors, if you will. They were the people that everybody looked to. They would tear their cloaks. They would mark their face with ashes. And they would look like they were praying like crazy. And still, John the Baptist is like, no, 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 you don't have the fruit. You don't, you don't have the fruit. And I'm like, well, that's terrifying. You can have all three of those and still not have the fruit. That's terrifying. What was it that the Pharisees and Sadducees had wrong? I believe it's this. I believe that the Pharisees and the Sadducees didn't have any relationships that were iron sharpening iron. Every relationship they had was to affirm what they were already doing. Every relationship they had, all their disciples were supposed to clap for them and tell them what they were doing was right and to follow them, all of their own disciples. All of their followers, when they would stand up in the synagogues and teach the Word of God, were there to clap for them and tell them how good they were and how good they looked. And Jesus called them the blind leading the blind. You brood of vipers. Would you, get, you worship well. You're a great order of the Word of God. You pray fantastic. Like You got that King James English prayer down. And he said, you brood of vipers. What? You're the blind leading the blind. Because when we get out of line with our relationships and it's all about us and all about us looking good, we can have the Word of God, we can have worship, we can have prayer, but we won't produce fruit. We, the, the production of fruit is dependent on the right people in our life that can communicate to our hearts, hey, maybe what you're doing is for show. Maybe you sound good when you quoted that verse, but maybe your heart isn't in it. And maybe you're not living out what you say that you believe. Maybe you're using that verse to justify your political views. And maybe you're right politically, but, but, but you're losing people in the process. You care more about being right than being loving. Maybe, just maybe, the way that you're treating your spouse is not godly. Maybe, just maybe, the way that you're re raising your kids is not the way God has called you to. But if you don't have iron sharpening iron relationships, if all you've got is people feeding into you and clapping for how you do, and if you only ask questions that lead them to clap for you some more, hey, look how good we're doing. You don't produce fruit that's reflective of repentance. You look good, and the world thinks you look good, but God is saying, no, 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 you brood of vipers. You blind leading the blind. Don't look good on the outside. You need relationships that make you better. Iron sharpening iron. What it is is, is, is it's like a, a water that becomes stagnant for them. They had a, they, their cups were full, but it was stagnated. There was no outflow. For the, for the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they had a bucket full of water, and they constantly knew the Word of God and worship and prayer. But we all know that stagnant water creates bacteria and is disgusting. If you have pets, you filled up their water, you know you've got to clean it. It's going to get mildew and nasty stuff in it if it just sits there. We know in Oklahoma, because we go like to swim at the lakes as though they're the oceans, and we call it the beach, even though it's not the beach, but we don't care because we're from Oklahoma. We know that there are times of year that the lake is a little bit too stagnant and there's bacteria in it that's dangerous for us. They don't say that about the rivers. That's not an issue at the river because the river has a flow. The river has a constant in and a constant out. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees only had an in and had no out. So I want to challenge you to, to assess your relationships and to check the health of where you're at and if you have what God has called you to have. And the way that I want to do that is, is the first question that I want you to process is 
do I have a healthy inflow and a healthy outflow? That's not necessarily the same relationship. There are seasons where you have people that you're dependent on and they are feeding into you. But what I would challenge you, if that's a season that you're in, you have some people that like, I don't have anything to give to you. I just need help. I need to sit with you and I need to cry with you and I, need, I, I just need you to tell me what to do about my finances. I just need you to tell me what to do about my marriage. I just need you to tell me what to do with my spiritual walk. That's fine. I'm not saying that you shouldn't have that. There are seasons you're going to have people that are close to you. They're going to tell you how you should live and help you and guide you and direct you. What I'm saying is that if there's not a two-way street on that one, there should be an outflow for someone else. That while you're getting help here, while you're getting iron sharpening iron here, you should be helping somebody else. That it should not stop with you. That the goal should be a constant flow that, I'm going to sing an old song. I'm not going to sing because y'all would run, but I want to be a vessel that you can work through. I don't want to be a bucket that you can sit in. There's an old song that says, I want to be a vessel that you can work through. And relationally, to be a vessel of God means you can't just sit and take and take and take and feed and feed and look good and look good and look good. But deep down when, when, when someone goes to swim, there's bacteria that eats them up on the inside. You're the brood of vipers blind leading the blind until you have a flow. You need both. So some of you might, a few of you, there's probably a small percentage of you that have the danger of flowing out too much and never flowing in. Some of you need to recognize that. You have relationships in your life that only take. And you have zero in your life, they give. And that's just as unhealthy. That's just as unhealthy to be a constant source for somebody else to take and take and take. You need to assess, in my relationships, do I have an inflow and an outflow? Because the tree that produces fruit takes from its environment. It does. There's a flow. It takes. It gets nutrients from the ground. It gets sun. It gets water. It takes from its environment, but then it produces fruit to give back to its environment. There is, there, the, the axe is at the tree because it's taking nutrients but not giving back. Jesus cursed the fig tree because it looked like it was producing fruit, but it never did produce fruit. You can't, you're at danger at getting cut down. You're not in the right environment. You're not healthy when you are the person that takes, 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 but doesn't give back. That isn't in relationships where there's a flow. So make sure that there's a flow in your relationship. Some of you might need to be assessing those relationships and assessing each one in your life and saying, all right, who are the few that I'm supposed to have some intimate relationships with where it's iron sharpening iron? Who are those people? And I, I need to assess some things about that. I need to assess. First off, you might need to ask these questions. Here's what I want to gauge for, for health. The, the thing you might need to assess about whether these people that God has sent you are supposed to be in your inner circle are, are these couple of questions. Uh, and it's found through Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. We are like scripture does it more than once where we're called to run a race. And it's a marathon, in case you're wondering, not a sprint. I've tried to run the sprint. It's painful. Run the marathon. In your walk with Christ, you need to run a marathon. You need to plan for a marathon. And in a marathon... You need the right people to give you the right nutrients at the right time. But it's hard to run a marathon with somebody if they're in a different race. If, if their goal is different than yours, it's really hard to run a race with them. You might assess, okay, God, you've sent me some people. Are they called to be inner circle people, counsel people, wisdom people, iron sharpening iron people? And you need to assess if they're running the same race as you. 
What I mean is, do they, are they going for the same prize as you? Because if they're not, they're running a different race and you guys can't run together. I, I don't mean you can't love them. I'm, I'm saying love your neighbor. I don't mean that you can't be nice to them and they can't be friends of yours. I mean for an inner circle group, for, for like tight-knit, iron sharp and iron intimacy, y'all need to be what Scripture calls equally yoked. Meaning that you, you are on the same page about your goals for life and what you want to get out of life. Otherwise, you're trying to run a race while you're holding somebody's hand that's trying to run a different race. And you can't make it. You're not going to run it. You're not going to run it well. And you're not going to complete the marathon that God has for you. You're not going to produce the fruit that God has called you to produce unless you have the right people running with you. There's a difference. Jesus had a lot of followers. He had 12 disciples. And he had three that was in his inner circle. And you need to decide which ones are supposed to be in your inner circle. Which are the ones I'm going to let in? And the question that you need to ask is are they running the same race as me? Are they, do they want Jesus in their life? Like we're going to prioritize. The first thing that we talked about week one is soul growth. Is that a priority for them? Is that a priority for them? Because that matters most. If that's not a priority, don't waste your time. If they're, if they're worried about getting money, that's their priority, then good for them. God bless them, pray for them, but they're not your inner circle. If they're worried about looking good on the outside but don't care about Jesus, not your inner circle. I don't care how much money they got, how good their marriage looks, or how good their kids are, not your inner circle. And once you've assessed that, uh, there's a couple questions that uh, I want you to ask. The first one is, do they have what I want? This one, uh, if you're taking notes, this one, do they have what I want, is really a question about the, the people that are ahead of you and assessing whether it's time to really have a conversation to let them in to really speak into your life. Right, the people that that are that are that you know, like, oh, that God's on them. I I want what they have. Do they have what I want? Is the question you need to ask. For me, it played out. When I didn't even really know to ask this question, and it kind of dawned on me really way further down the road than it should have. I came on church at Life Staff, and I, uh, Life Staff. It's a weird church name, but Life Church. I came on staff, and uh, I started to look around at the pastors on staff at Life Church. And I was really shocked, and I shouldn't have been shocked, but I was shocked at how many of their spouses loved the church. And I was even more shocked at how many of their kids loved the church and loved Jesus. And you're like, that, why are you shocked by that? If you've ever been in ministry or been around a lot of people in ministry, you'll find that too high of a percentage of ministers have kids who don't love Jesus and don't love the church. And too high of a percent of ministers have spouses who really don't love the church. And there's a whole lot of reasons for that. But I looked around and said, oh, I can follow you I can have you in my inner circle because you have what I want because I'm not called to lead a church and lose my family that's that is not that is not my priority in life I don't care what my church looks like if I've lost my kids and my spouse in the process I've lost I don't care what numbers are here what number of hands goes up the faithfulness and the fruit I'm called to produce I've lost and I looked and went oh I'm, I'm, okay, I'm going to do what they do. I'm going to let them in on my inner circle, have hard conversations because they have what I want. The second thing might be a question for, for people that either are side by side with you, are in the same stage of life, or behind you a little bit. And that second question is, are they trying to go the same direction? I, I try to be very specific in this phrasing and say, are they trying? I don't, I don't need your inner circle to be perfect and have it all together. I'm not saying that at all. But don't assume that because they say they want the same things that they've actually tried to get the same things. Don't, don't assume that just because they, they have good intentions, if their actions don't say that they have good intentions, they don't have good intentions, right? We don't have to over-spiritualize. We don't have to overthink it. 
the, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If, if their life is not reflective of someone who's trying, like, I, don't, I don't mean perfect, I just mean trying, to trying to follow Jesus. They're striving to follow Jesus. They're striving for the soul growth. If, the, if, it's not, if it's not there, they don't need to be in your inner circle. They don't need to be iron sharpening iron. Not perfect, striving. Not perfect. People who are actively pursuing the call of God on their life. Not people who say they want it but live like they don't. And if those two questions are answered and you see people that are coming your direction, then cultivate it. Invest. Thing is, it's, it is an investment. Relationships are an investment. I know that sounds awful. Like, why are we talking about money, Jared? We are a micro, microwave culture. We want everything now. And I'm the world's worst. I, want my, I, don't even want to, I will never cook dinner because I'd rather just have something gross now than have to wait the length of time it takes me to cook dinner. Thank God for my wife who likes to cook dinner. Otherwise, it'd be sandwiches and frozen burritos and other things like that because I'm the world's worst. I just want it now. I don't want to wait. I don't want to think about it. Whatever's now, whatever's fast, I'll eat it. And that's most of our culture. We want it now. We want it now. We want it now. But it's an investment. You need to cultivate the relationships that God has sent you. Cultivate those relationships. And the reason I know it's an investment is because uh, the disciples, 12 of them, follow Jesus for three years, okay? In case you're wondering who Jesus is, Son of God, the Messiah, Word of God, Creator of the universe, took Him three years to get the disciples to produce what they were called to produce. The relationship that they needed in their life. Three, that's a long time. You would think if anybody was going to do it well and get the fruit out of the people that he's called to get the fruit out of, it would have been Jesus. And it still took him three years. It takes time. And it's okay that it takes time, but the time is worth it. I want you to get this. This statement is kind of said about a a lot of different things, but I think it's true in relationships as well. Uh, And if you're taking notes, it's that relationships are a combination of what you encourage and what you allow. Relationships are a combination of what you encourage and what you allow. And this season, as you're processing the inner circle, the iron sharpening iron, I'm going to challenge you to really be intentional about what you encourage and what you allow inside of that relationship. It it, it might be time to encourage the conversations that you really don't want to have, but you know you need to have with the right people. Once you've assessed, they're the people, they're supposed to be in my inner circle, now it's time to process like, have I encouraged them to have a hard conversation with me? Have I allowed them to speak into my life in a way that I may not want to hear, but I know I need to hear it because I know they care about me and they love me, right? And I, I, as your pastor, I have different relationships with different people in here, right? There, there are different levels and tiers that you've allowed me to speak into your life. For instance, your youth pastor, I've known him since he's a kid. He's verbally said, if I need to be yelled at, I want you to yell at me. And I yell at him. It's a great outlet for me, and it helps him, right? It's a win-win, hopefully, for both of us. But that relationship was allowed. That, that communication was encouraged. I want you to help me, so if I'm getting out of line, I want you to say it. The relationship needs to be encouraged or allowed. You need to think about that. That's also a context for your marriage and for your kids. All of those things are pertinent, too. But more important for this context is for you to understand that when you're talking iron sharpening iron, you need to select a few people, let them in your inner circle, and start to encourage and allow the right things. Give them permission to speak into your life. Give them permission to help make you better, to grow you, to stretch you. And maybe ask for permission yourself. Like, are you okay with me doing that for you? Because I don't, I don't, if the relationship's not there and you don't, aren't ready to hear it, it's a waste of my breath. Don't waste our time. You don't have to waste your time telling everybody else how to live. But there are a few that it matters to and that will listen. 
So invest, invest. So I'm going to challenge you to do two things. I've got two challenges for you today. The first thing is this, is, is find someone, at least one. Before you walk out of here, there, God has given you everything you need. So I believe there is somebody in your life that you're called to open up to in this moment, to, to have a conversation with and say, hey, I want to, I wanna, this is not a dating relationship, but I do want to move this relationship to the next level, meaning I want to let you in. And I, wanna, I want you to speak into my life. And I want you to tell me how it is sometimes. I want to encourage you that I believe in you and I think we're running the race together and I want you to speak into my life. The second thing that I'm going to challenge you to do, I would like for you to do both, but at least do one. The second thing that I'd, I'd like for you to do and, and for, is to sign up for a life group. Th- this, look, I, I, I get, maybe you're like, I got, I got all kinds of friends, I got all kinds of things. I'm good. I got a lot of those relationships and I'm really healthy. I don't know if that's the thing for me. And that may be true. There may be a handful of you in here that that's true for. But I would bet that there's someone in that life group that needs you. If you're that healthy and you're that good, there's probably someone in that life group that needs your voice in their life, needs you to have a flow into them. And, and look, that's not the only way to do relationships. It's just the best way we've found to do it, is to have a life group where you're intentional. It's, de- it's designed for iron sharpening iron. It's designed to grow relationships. Before you leave here, at least do one of those. At least do one of those. Decide which one you're going to do. But if you really love your pastor, do both. For me, I'm telling you to invest because I've seen the fruit that it produced in me. I'm, I'm, a, I'm nothing but a conglomeration of all the relationships that I've had in my life. And one in particular happened uh, in Moore, Oklahoma, when me and my wife were the Life Kids pastors in Moore. And I started to cultivate a relationship with my campus pastor, uh, Michael Metcalf. And in that season, that was really the first time that I had a pastor that wasn't a part of my family. And so we started to cultivate. And I I, I honored him because he was my pastor. And I respected him. And I listened to him. And he started to, like, listen to me and have, like, be able to speak into my life. And he started to encourage things in me and show me how to lead in a way that I didn't know how to lead before. Like, I knew it book-wise, but I didn't know how to really lead well practically. And I started to see things in him. And there was a relationship through life group, through other areas, through ministry, through being on the battleground together in ministry. We started to grow a relationship. And he would encourage me to challenge him. He would encourage all of these things in me that I didn't know that it were allowed and were accepted. And so there was this trust there. Until at one point it really bore, it, it bore the most fruit. When uh, I started to feel like it was time to come back to Muskogee and most people who leave Muskogee are like, I don't know that I want to come back, right? I love my hometown. I love this town. But most of us, when we go, we're like, I don't know if we need to come back to Muskogee. I mean, we got out for a reason. And I, I was like, it almost must be God because I, I, I love where I'm at and more. I love the team that I'm on. I love my campus pastor. We're growing. We're stretching. But I, I was like, oh, God may be calling me to make a step. And one of the first people I went to was Michael Metcalf, my campus pastor. What's strange about that is that he would probably be, should probably be the last person because I was looking at another job, but the first person I went to was, was my boss. Uh, it's strange because you wouldn't go to him first normally, but because there was relationship there that had been cultivated, he was one of the first. And I didn't have to open the conversation with like, hey, I want to do this. I could be wide open with the conversation. And I literally asked him, am I crazy for thinking? That's how I started the conversation. Like, I'm open enough to you that if I'm crazy, I want you to tell me that this is a stupid idea because I don't want to do it and I trust your opinion. 
I trust you enough to know that you might lose a life kids pastor in the process, but you care about me more because we cultivated a relationship. And he asked a bunch of questions, hard questions, and hey, does it have anything to do with your time here? Do you love where you're at? I'm like, yeah, that's what's crazy about it. I love what we're doing. I love what God's called us to do. I love where my family's at. It doesn't make any sense. And after several conversations and questions, he's like, sounds like you're called to do it. I know it doesn't make sense, but it sounds like you're called to do it. And I'm here partially because of that conversation because there's, and the brick is what it is today, partially because of that conversation, because the fruit bore out in the time it needed to because of the relationship that was cultivated. And for you, you might need the right relationship at the right time to bring you to exactly where God needs you to be for you, for your family, and for all the people around you.